forever. Dog. On today's episode of Weekend at Bergman's, put on your dancing shoes because it's a showdown between two movies with all the right moves, but which one will come out on top? Representing the art house, it's Pal and Pressburger's The Red Shoes from 1948. And representing the mainstream, it's Paul Verhoeven's 1995 box office flop turned cult classic Showgirls. Joe? Yeah. Are you ready? Never been readier. Then roll that theme song. Every week, you and I watch two movies together. Well, not quite together, because we watch them apart. You at your house and me at mine. Whoa. Every week, we watch the same two movies. Yes, that's what I meant to say right from the start. But how do we choose these two movies? Well, one is a brilliant, beautiful work of cinematic art, the height of the medium. And the other one is mainstream. I'm talking popcorn, baby. Hollywood endings. But what happens when we watch them back to back and have to say which one? We liked better, and we have to, to be, be honest. honest. That's the best part of the song. Because we do. Gotta be honest. Welcome. Welcome to Weekend at Bergman's. We're going to watch an art house movie yep. and a mainstream movie. Right. And we're going to say which one we like better. And the one right. that we like better is going to go into the canon. Yeah. And the one that we didn't like as much is going to go into the trash canon. And we're never allowed to watch it again for the rest of our lives. That's the premise of this podcast. My name is Brett Bohm, and I'm seated here across from my co-host, Joe Cilio. Hey, everybody. I'm so happy to be back for another Weekend at Bergman's. And as always, we are dressed uh, in character. Yeah. That's something that you know if you watch these episodes, which you can do at Forever Dog Plus. Sign up at foreverdog.plus to get video as well as audio. You have to. Because you specifically have to this week because I got to say, we are coming. There's a real a real contrast. Yeah, it's fun. You know, look, it's not my – it's not my – actually, yeah, it actually is my best, I've decided. Now, one thing I, I forgot to why. tell you. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you. Did you watch Showgirls or did you watch um, uh, Tombstone or, or Young Guns? I'm Numi. At the end. You're Elizabeth Berkeley's character at the very end of the movie. Yeah. Right, the right, final you know, scene. Brett, in fairness to you, I think it was missing this. Ready? And this is only for plus subscribers. I was just giving a little uh, hitchhiking thumb. So you are Nomi. Uh, you're the main character at the very beginning and the very end of the movie. Yep. At the at the beginning, she's wearing a black leather coat with dangles. But I'm at the end when she's wearing a an open an open uh, denim uh, thing. An, uh, actually, it's 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 brown, but mine's mine's blue. But I think blue's fun because it's giving me '90s Vegas. It's giving me the showgirls aesthetic, and, and I think that it's communicating to the people really, you know, uh, the 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 textures of the film and the and the colors of the film. Not to uh, make this a you know not to not to deflect. What are you supposed to be? Did would you watch the kids in the hall this weekend? I am clearly uh, uh, Moira Shearer from the Red Shoes. I have red hair. I have a tiara. I have on a, a white leotard. I could not be more in character uh, in in, in the you most sort of in, iconic you know what, you, representative sense. You know what? Yeah, I can see it now. 
you do look like Moria Shearer because I can see the death behind your eyes. Well, I mean, a counterpoint to your argument is that you are dressed uh, based on the scenes that are least stylistically representative of the film as a whole. I mean, the, you're essentially dressed as the frame narrative, which which is is uh, doesn't really aesthetically represent the wow. film at all. That um, is such a miserable it's fine. I mean, misrepresentation I, look, of the film. What do you want me to do? Pull my big fat titties out, Brett? This is another banger of a week. Um, another real banger of a week. Um, uh, last week, and, and and we actually have to talk about last week because we have some unfinished business mm. from last week. Uh, oh my god! We have to figure out. We have to find out yeah. which film from uh, Jean Delman. Yeah, twenty three Croix de Commerce. Mm-hmm. Eight Rue de Paris. Eighteen zero Bruxelles. Damn it! Hold on. Bruce, no, who hold gives on. a fucking for shit? one last time? It's we last get week's this episode. Right. If you want to listen to it for the full Jean Delman, twenty three Quay de Commerce, ten eighty Bruxelles, directed by Chantel Ackerman, uh, or Die Hard. Which of those films goes in the canon and right. which goes in the trash canon? Yep. Because why is that? Why didn't we just decide it on the show? What happened last week? Uh, so we 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 split jury. Split jury. You picked Die Hard. I yep. picked John Dielman. But yep. neither one of us yep. felt that those choices were conclusive. We or... both loved the films. I just thought that Die Hard, for a whole host of reasons, check out the last episode, was the last slightly episode. better. Because they're two of the best films I've ever seen. Die Hard, slightly better than John Dielman. And uh, Brett, you went the other way, which I completely and, and totally very respect. Similarly, it was and I agonized call. over my choice all week. I was I think in I, agony. I think I made the right choice when I when I sat with it for a couple days. But I'm really excited to see what the fans – I have no idea. So w- when we have a hung jury here, a split jury here on Weekend at Bergman's, we send it over to our amazing fans. Thank you for listening. And we say – it's out of our hands. We got to put it in your hands, guys. We have to understand what, what what the people want. What do you think? Which movie is better, Jean Dielman or Die Hard? And of course, just to reframe the stakes really quick, Brett and I won't be able to watch The Loser ever again as long as we live. It's going to go right in the trash cannon, and that's where the trash goes. And we can never watch that ever again. We it, made, we made we made a made a pact. And look, that's that's hard enough to come to terms with when when we're personally making the decision that we're standing by. Um, this week, though. Yeah. Uh, it's out of our hands. Fate in the in the form of our listeners are going to decide which film we never get to see again for the rest of our lives. But I love them and I trust them. I do as well. More than me and you. It was actually not. I will. Uh, I will say this before I reveal the winner. It was not. It was not close. Oh really? <laughs> no, oh, okay. It was not close. <laughs> okay. Do we got a lot of? Uh... It was pretty conclusive. Okay. It was pretty wait, conclusive. Wait, wait, and we had um we had about a hundred votes. So I'm saying that's a big enough sample size. A hundred. A hundred people weighed count, in for this to count. Yes. This is huge. So um in honor of this, I've got a new theme song for this segment. Here we go. And if you know this one, sing along. <laughs> Who won the poll? <laughs> Who won the poll? Which movie? Which movie? Which movie won the poll about, about our favorite? Oh, God damn it. <laughs> really got to write these things ahead of time. I just yeah, write I the first lyric. I got it, though. Okay, I, right, I think good. ultimately it works. All right. Thank you. So the movie that won the poll is, drumroll, please, Die Hard. Oh. Oh, wait, so Die, Die Hard. Hard means we can watch Die Hard again? You can watch Die Hard again. Yes. You can never again. Neither of us can ever again for the rest of our lives watch Jean Dielman. Oh, no. I know. This this podcast is tough. 
But we watched it once. But we, we we watched. You it. made a great point about we watching a thing it. once and that being beautiful in its own special way last week. I did. So in a way, I'm really the winner of this poll because if, if, I if went to bat that, for Jean sure. Dielman, knowing that I probably would still never watch it again. But you, but you, but I went on record. You thought it was a better movie. I went on. I, went did, on I did. I did. We're being honest. You went on record. I'm being honest. That's fine. That's fine. This is merely a a benefit, a a you know side benefit of that decision. Well, I'm actually I'm the martyr, and you're just sort of the you know mainstream hack out of this scenario. You keep saying that like it's a bad thing. Everybody loves the mainstream. 70% to 30%. Die hard over yeah. Jean Dielman. Okay. Yeah, that so, is like a... Okay. I'm very sorry about you, Jean Dielman losing it to Die Hard. I mean, I guess, honestly, now that we're kind of looking at the poll, like, I guess we could have kind of guessed 70-30 Die Hard. It's a popular film. Um, it's also really, really good. Wait, what? Is, you, is this what? Did, One asterisk. Wait, new, are you what, serious? Wait, very stop big the steal. Here. <laughs> stop <laughs> the steal. Oh, it's a recount? What the fuck do I'm you gonna want? I'm going to march up the what steps the of the want? Capitol yeah, building yeah, yeah. that is this yeah, podcast what? and demand. One big asterisk here is I have I have serious doubts about how many people who voted watch have watched Jean Dielman That's in its entirety. Get. Fine, if we need to refine because the, the I, I trust the listeners. As evidence, well, as evidence oh, of this, okay. uh, actually, the, the, the person that picked this week's pairing, Beth Jerky on Twitter, a uh, very funny follow on Twitter, Beth Jerky. Um, Thanks, Beth. Beth Jerky said... Um, uh, commented on our poll. I haven't seen Jean Dielman yet, but the trailer and the synopsis sound far better than Die Hard. And then a couple minutes later, okay. uh, and then a couple minutes later, commented, "Wait, it's three oh. and a half hours. Never mind. Bruce wins." <laughs> <laughs> so okay, well, uh, so, <laughs> we got to throw. That's one vote we got to throw out. All right, so it's nine. It's 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 sixty nine percent to to. to uh, but I mean, I think Beth Beth Jerky <sighs> might be representative of the field hey, on that one. Do you, but ever, look, do you know about the term sour grapes? Jean Dielman died maybe a martyr's death. Died a martyr's death. Maybe maybe die hard slightly her. better than Jean Dielman. And everybody, well, maybe people didn't have as much fun as we did watching Jean, or maybe they maybe they just had a lot more fun watching Die Hard. Like, who well, knows? I don't know. That's that's look. But Brett, we look about to go Mike Lindell on these on these voting machines. We love and trust the listeners. Or not not necessarily. You you have you're 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 creating I some mean, sort of uh, antithi- antipathy. Towards. We're confessing to it on the poll. But on you the... just disagree. Like we had a whole two hour conversation about this, and I also decided that Die Hard is slightly better you know does that you have to throw away my vote too because we just slightly disagree to smidge look every comment is like so i have to watch john dielman maybe that's part of it (laughs) look i don't know but here's what i do know is that last week i watched two films that enriched my life i'm a better man for having watched john dielman if you are listening and you haven't seen it do check it out is an a film is amazing and i am just so excited that the beat keeps rolling on and the reason i have faith in the listeners is this week was a listener submitted twofer for our movies and listeners came through with two bangers i mean i don't want to give away my thoughts and feelings but i i enjoyed watching these films very much and i'm very excited to hear your opinion on these films it's another hard choice this week Re- two really great okay, films like, I love, the I love art that. house and the mainstream I love the red you. shoes and showgirls and yeah. we're going to be honest that's what we do on the you show even though we stay this this like sham election uh, in which John Dielman got man. crushed. Oh man! Um, but we're gonna this we're gonna endeavor. Gonna age well, we're gonna move forward. We're gonna endeavor to be honest. We're gonna be honest uh, with you this week in our analysis of the Red Shoes and Showgirls. And I'm gonna say it. I said it last week. Yeah. I meant it. I'm gonna say it this week. Yep. I meant it. I have not made up my mind yet. I have I, not made up my mind yet. I do not. I do not know which way I'm gonna vote this week. I have a I have a slight preference, but I'm I actually just like last week. I'm excited to learn more about these films. 
and to go a little deeper and to really hash them out and make sure I'm 100% convinced of my thoughts. That's it. I'm treating this podcast like a battlefield, like a playing field. Yeah. This is where the decision happens. Yeah, I'm, you I'm, gather, I gather my 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 data mm-hmm. and my yeah. feelings and my and my uh, impressions. Yep. Uh, off mic, but then when we get on mic, this is where it really gets hashed out. Unless yeah, it's a week um, like you know, in the mood for love versus it's she's true. out of my league, which is just a blo- just, we, just we, an intentional bloodbath. No, um, I'm not going to make my decision until we get into the arena. I'm happy that a to hear that you're on the fence and Showgirls wasn't a no for you. So that's very exciting to me. I'm very um, on board with Showgirls. I, I, I'm happy to hear that. That means that you and I have a lot to talk about, and that's good. But I, I am with you. I am with you 100%. I am not uh, decided. These are uh, good, very good movies. And I can be swayed. I have a slight preference, uh, but I am I'm very open to, right. to learning more. All right. To be honest, I have a slight preference as well. Okay. I have a slight preference I have a slight preference. Well. But, but, like, but, but that's not, not what I said. I said I hadn't made my final decision yet. Okay. But I do have a slight what? preference. Okay. Hi, everybody. Tim Heidecker here. We have a brand new Office Hours that just came out of the oven. We've got legendary psych rocker Ty Siegel. And Doug is back from down under. G'day. G'day. And his mommy came with him. Mommy and Gary Lusenhop are here, too. Alicia let me know that she finished the White Album, has thoughts on that. So much more on this legendary episode of Office Hours. Find us on your podcast app of choice or watch us on YouTube at youtube.com slash office hours live. Who are the animals? Because I don't smell them. Which movie do you want to start with? I don't like I pick these myself, but I want to I want to add some more. I want the experiment to be a clean experiment, so I want them to be some more uncertainty about how we decide. Because I feel like it may be going first or second sometimes influences our opinions. Well, I don't know in which way that you um, – which – which Should we just alternate week to week? Yeah. Okay. So last week uh, we we did Jean D'Elman first. So this yeah. week let's do Showgirls Excellent. first. Okay. So Showgirls uh, came out in 1995, that, that Annus Mirabilis of 1995. Uh, it was directed by Paul Verhoeven, um, oh. uh, one of just one of uh, 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 Hollywood and directors. cinema's great, just sort of weirdo directors, always doing his own one thing. One of the great directors. What visions, what nightmares he gives us. Uh, it seems like kind of maybe like a sibling to Cronenberg in a way or something, you know? Absolutely, um, but also a shrug from me. If, you, if you're on Plus, you could see me give a little shrug, but okay. Man, just something off the top of my head. I don't, I don't not untrue, stick by it. Not untrue. A very interesting comparison, and I'm excited to, to go in there. Uh, he's dire- he directed RoboCop, Total Recall, Starship Troopers, Basic Instinct, most recently Benedetta, What a Body of Work, and of course Showgirls, uh, written by uh, a, a true, uh, another kind of true weirdo in Hollywood, Joe Esterhaas, Joe Esterhaas, uh, who had written Flashdance. Um, he also wrote Basic Instinct with Verhoeven. This was this was their uh, second, I believe, second collaboration. Um, and Esther Haas, both of these movies, as we're going to... One commonality that I wasn't prepared for is that both of these movies represent lost eras in cinema. Uh, for me, Red Shoes uh, is, is the lost era of Technicolor, which was this brief, you know, sort of dreamy fantasy era in movie making uh, that just as quickly, due to the expensiveness mm-hmm. of it, went out of fashion. Um, um, is a, a lost era. And then the other lost era that I think Esther House and this movie represents is the the 90s um, spec script era. In the 90s, you don't see this anymore when franchises took over. But in the 90s, there was so much 
energy and enthusiasm and 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 fever around spec scripts where Esterhaus literally was the sort of the king of the group and kind of kind of started this trend but when Esterhaus had a script there would be in in insane bidding wars between the studios for completely original scripts just because he wrote them. Um, and it really started, he had written a, written a couple, but then really with Basic Instinct a couple years before Showgirls, um, they literally started out in the morning, uh, like at 10 a.m., they sent the script around and to all the studios and they started the bidding and throughout the day every studio what? is calling him I want, I'll give you this much for I'll give you this much for I'll give you this much for it got up to I think he got two million for the spec script to basic instinct just for the script alone great script um, and it was but it took all day of this bidding war back and forth back and forth over the phone um, and so Estraus really created this climate in which spec scripts were treated like lottery tickets and everybody had to bid on them because that you know they, they might have the next big big original hit on their hands um, he you know and and much like that era he flamed out by the end of the 90s he had uh, obviously a flop with showgirls which we'll talk about he had a major flop with this other movie this this kind of an experimental conceptual movie he did called uh burn hollywood burn uh and after that he did he couldn't really get a meeting anymore in hollywood um and then he had a second life as like Mel Gibson's kind of personal uh, like writer director friend um, yeah. but then he, he wrote a whole book about it because he was going to make uh, that movie with Mel the Maccabees which was nobody would make it because of just how anti-Semitic the log line, line was make the Maccabees <laughs> no, don't, please don't um, but he, he ended up like uh, vacationing with Mel while they were working on this uh, other movie I think maybe working on the Maccabees uh, and he wrote this whole book about it because he said he literally feared for his life are you serious is this it, a real book? Most, we can oh, buy it. Yes, Joe, you should read this because it is the most in-depth look at how deranged Mel Gibson oh is. Oh my god! Um, about how anti-Semitic he is, how misogynistic he is, how <gasps> abusive he is. Do you know the name of is. this book? Uh, hold on one no, second. No, I'm sorry. I think it's literally called like to... Mel and Me or something. Yeah, I will be going to <laughs> Mel this Gibson. Book up hold on. Tomorrow. Hold on. Um, and uh, Esterhaus says in the book that he literally started sleeping with a golf club because he thought Gibson was going to try to kill him. Heaven and Mel. Heaven and Mel <laughs> is Joe Esterhaus's explosive, unabridged, no-holds-barred account uh, of his time uh, working Mel. with Mel Gibson. Heaven and Mel. Um, so Esterhaus had quite a career, but he did, for a time, he was the most in-demand screenwriter in Hollywood in the 90s, and particularly for spec scripts, which you just don't see anymore. Um, you know, I mean, everything now obviously is about the franchises. It's hard as hell to get some original movie made. Yeah. But then that was the golden ticket in the 90s was an Esterhaus original script um, <laughs> or scripts by, you know, people of his ilk, writing these kind of erotic thrillers and uh, action thrillers cool. and this and that, right? Yeah, um, idea so um sorry. great background i didn't know any of that oh I yes loved it. yes so two lost eras in in in, in movie making uh that we're going to look at today uh esther and verhoven interviewed over 200 las vegas strippers uh for this movie and incorporated parts of their stories into the screenplay uh, in order to show particularly the amount of exploitation uh that strippers in vegas and uh um have to go through um, Esterhaus also took out a full page advertisement in Variety in which he dubbed the film a morality tale and denounced the advertising of the film as misguided, writing the movie shows uh, that dancers in Vegas are victimized, humiliated, used verbally and physically raped by the men who are at the power centers of that world. Where's the lie? 
Uh, Elizabeth Berkley stars in the movie. She previously, uh, nobody, you know, the casting for this movie was wild. They, they went after pretty much every A-list actor in mm-hmm. Hollywood. Nobody wanted to be in this movie, um, in the, in the title, in the mm-hmm. main role. Uh, Elizabeth Berkley was just coming off of Saved by the Bell, which yep. had just, uh, run its course. Um, and this was her, her first big role after that. It obviously, you know, the movie, as we'll talk about, has, um, ended up recouping its money through VHS sales, through rentals, uh, and has achieved this kind of cult classic status now. Um, So the movie itself, the reputation of it has has been um, reclaimed, and Verhoeven obviously didn't really suffer much from it. He's been making movies, you know, ever since. Benedetta was a a huge, you know, kind of international art house hit. Um, But Elizabeth Berkley... um, you know, uh, basically never worked again after this movie. Um, she, out of all the people that, that took a hit from it, uh, absolute crime. Uh, she was dropped by her agent after the film's release, and then other agents, uh, according to her, wouldn't even take her phone calls. Ridiculous. Um, so she was. The reception yeah. to this movie really tells you more about as much about the '90s as the movie tells you about the '90s. We we almost could just talk about the reception to the movie because yeah. it is watching the movie is baffling to me the reception that it's got. Oh yeah, it me got too. Absolutely right. baffling. 100%. It's like people. Um, it, it's just like uh, it's just a, a big confession that no one knows how to watch movies like yeah. it, like it's just a, a mass mass misinterpretation I feel like everything I've heard about this movie ever has been this derogatory worst movie ever sort of moniker and then my whole life it was sort of framed and pitched as some sort of straight to DVD porno that you can sort of get your rocks off to when nothing could be it's a fucking movie. Truth. It's a fucking movie. Movie. <laughs> it's Busby Berkeley. It's like in. It's a movie like in a lineage. Like it, I don't it even. Is a, it's all right. A, yeah. So, uh, but um, the 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 critics and the audiences are not the only ones to blame. Uh, the studio and distributor United Artists is also to blame uh, because they basically this film got an NC seventeen rating, uh, which obviously at that time dramatically hurts. You know. Um, sure. Your, you know, your uh, the, the box office returns of the movie, um, uh, in large part because United Artists dispatched several hundred staffers to theaters across America. This is the person distributing the movie. <laughs> they dispatched several hundred staffers to theaters across North America playing the movie to ensure that uh, underage patrons would not sneak into the theater having bought tickets to other movies, what and to make sure everybody that saw was over the age of seventeen. Tells you more about the nine. Tells you more about the nineties. Who distributed the film? Yeah. Tells you more about the '90s than as much as about the '90s as the movie. Like, what? Like, and, that's insane. And it was actually not financially that big of a flop. I was very surprised to see this budget forty-five million, box office returns thirty-seven million. Yeah, like not not yeah. that and big apparently, of a flop. I, I I I don't know what's in your thing, but one thing I know about this movie is that. It made so much later on. Over a hundred million. Over a hundred million dollars in, in, in rentals. MGM's top twenty revenue <laughs> yes, movies of all time. It is. Um, which I just find I keep mentioning it because we'll get into the film itself, but like again, erotic adjacent, certainly not like the hottest movie I've ever seen. In fact, not hot. Not that there aren't naked people that are beautiful. It's that like this movie isn't about getting your rocks off. It's about the pain and suffering and the and the death of American sexuality at the end of the century and the turn of the millennium. Vulgar, violent, disgusting male gaze and its collapse at the end of uh, the collapse of America. Um so I couldn't so I couldn't get my rocks off to that, you know. I love America. I want I want I want the empire booming. I was know. surprised to um 
uh, before we get into kind of a close reading of the film, um, because the, the, you know it's sort of where I was very curious as to see where this where where I would sort of place this film in my head, um, and I I very quickly was like, this isn't just a complete disaster by any means. No. This isn't the the flop that that it was out of the gate. Um, it for a while had achieved a kind of cult like so bad it's good status and was mm-hmm. playing at like midnight movie mm-hmm. screenings and stuff. I don't think it's that no, either. I don't no. think it's so bad it's good. I think it's actually good. Me too. Um, and I think it just is doing some things stylistically that audiences had lost a language for. They didn't know how to, they were used to watching movies in a certain way. And I think they just didn't know how to watch this movie. They didn't understand the kind of cinematic language of it. And particularly they didn't understand what was going on with Elizabeth Berkeley's performance. The Uh, best. Yes. And so um, the only, uh, there's a bunch of like critical reevaluations of it. Uh, Jacques Rivette, the French new wave director was one of the first people to get on board. This just like, he called it one of the great American films of the last few years. (laughs) God bless. Maybe we'll watch a Jacques Rivette movie at some point. Uh, from the art house um in terms of genre uh tarantino called it and i, I like this he called it um the uh really the only time in recent history that a major hollywood studio made a full-on exploitation movie and i thought that was an interesting that kind of placed it for me a little bit that it, it is a uh, hollywood big budget movie but it plays in a lot of ways as a a kind of 60s 70s exploitation movie um that was interesting to me it has There's, that energy yes there is also though verhoven told um uh, Joe Esterhouse that he just wanted to make an MGM musical from the 30s. It has, which, that, it has energy. that energy as well. That is what I was. Has and, that and that's why well. I loved whoever yeah. the genius fan was preparing it with red shoes. I found that comparison genius to be just Beth a, amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, can I pitch you another interpretation of the film that Please. I found really informative? You know, my uh, my my old good friend and sometimes enemy Jessica Crispin, writer for The Guardian, etc., said that Showgirls um, is a is a documentary which I thought to be um, very interesting reading of the film and is backed by the fact that the writer and Beerhoven went and interviewed 200 sex workers for the film. Um, it features a ton of uh, things that were based in real life, borderline all of it, um, all of the themes, all of the violence, cruelty, um, the shows, the backstage, uh, the language spoken, the clubs, the outfits. Um, we're inspired by real life. I think people get lost in the fog of campiness, uh, which I don't think the film is camp because I don't think the film is satire. And the reason I like the documentary angle. Uh, it's not satire. Either, I, I, I do have. Um, I like the documentary angle because it's certainly uh, there's a there's a hyper realism to the film that is uncomfortable and borderline fantastical. Um, which might be picked up on and sort of interpreted as camp. But I also want to add one thing to this documentary angle that Jessa sort of posited. And I think that what makes that um, not available as the final reading of the film is Elizabeth Berkeley's performance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, which is what I think absolutely incredible, perfectly casted, uh, totally unhinged, and also um, refined to like a T for those who haven't seen the film or want a quick refresher. Joe, I'm going to need you to summarize this movie, recap this movie sure. me, uh, in 60 seconds. Starting now, a beautiful drifter named Nomi rolls into Las Vegas and, um, 
wants to be a dancer in one of these large scale reviews, you know, these sort of erotic reviews that Vegas used to be full of. And now there's like one. Um, so she gets to town. She makes a, a friend miraculously who takes care of her, puts her in, in her home and sort of gets her a job. And she starts working at a club called the Cheetah eventually. And she's so dynamic and interesting and bizarre and sexual that Gina Gershon and uh, Kyle MacLachlan find her, bring her on board to this large production called 15 Goddess. Uh, Gina Gershon's the star. There's trials, tribulations. Eventually, Nomi pushes or you know, pushes Gina Gershon down the stairs and she Five becomes seconds. the star. And of course, it leads to a bunch of collapse and then she gets out of town. All right. Early. That's 60 seconds. I thought that was a pretty good summary of the film. Thank you. Uh, and if you haven't seen this movie, go watch this movie. Go watch oh this movie. Oh, my God. Let's, uh, let's start with Berkeley's performance because I do think a lot of our understanding of the movie uh, you have to take it into account. And in many ways, oh, yeah. I think it's one of the first things you have to take into account because it's one of the first things we're given in the movie. Uh, let's start at 535. Oh, we're going to see, we're going to see. Um, I love this. Really, I, I, I re- we round, rewound this scene and watched it about three times. Um, what, what happens here is uh, Nomi has basically just shown up into Las Vegas uh, via a hitchhiker. The hitchhiker, um, uh, despite her resistance, kind of ultimately charms her a little bit, enough to um, that she leaves her suitcase in his truck uh, while they go into this casino under the guise of finding his uncle who has a like lead on a job maybe, right? Um, but at this point, uh, she's about to realize it strikes her. He disappears and it strikes her that, oh, no, he probably stole my suitcase. Here we go. He's running around looking for him. Runs out across the strip to a parking lot. Truck's gone. Hitting a car. Throws up. Street has to get pulled back. I mean, it's just chaos right now. Everything slows down. Oh, also, this movie's so wonderfully gay, which seems to, is a whole nother reading and lens. She that falls into so this woman's arms that she's never met before. So, All right, now they're eating fast food. I was in your suitcase. Yeah, Numi's so crazy. I'm gonna stab in a straw into the soda. Take the fries. Slamming the fries. Oh, ketchup on the, the fries. So ketchup. angry. And this this woman, God bless. Ketchup like, spurts out. I want to be friends with this woman. You know anybody here? You got any family that you can call? She has like family. four fries in her mouth at the same time. Where are you from? Back east. From where back east? Different places. Oh my gosh. Wow. All right, we can stop it there. Uh, Before I get your read on her performance, I want to say... Berkeley didn't just like decide to do this in a vacuum. Verhoeven's come out on record and say that I coached this performance. I encouraged this performance. Um, He um, 
he says, uh, I was the one who asked her to exaggerate everything, every move, because that was the element of style that I thought would work for the movie. Great Ding. call, Verhoeven. Right. Great wow. call. The genius understands. Yeah. Uh, and she played it to a T. I mean, without it. question, she does this. It, it's, it's a type of acting. And again, this goes back. I think part of the reason it got a bad reception is people just weren't. They just didn't know what they were seeing. They thought they were seeing a bad performance. What no. they were seeing was an intentionally exaggerated performance. <laughs> I feel like her performance is like dance. It's ballet, right? I mean, ballet and dance is a intentionally exaggerated, hyper-exaggerated art form. Every emotion is is uh, multiplied by 10, right? Um, and so I thought her performance almost – it felt like a dance to me. It felt like a dance. Everything exaggerated, everything big. Everything, every small pain is made a big pain for you. Every small um, uh, annoyance is made a huge annoyance. Um, I loved it. And it was consistent from start to finish. So how? what else could you think was going on here? This wasn't a mistake. No, it wasn't a mistake. And yes, there's it. her movements are very uh, dance-like. And her dancing is very uh, amazing and bizarre. But I find her like erratic gesticulations – to be sort of the death throes of the chaos of the end of the American dream. Mm. And I mean that in every element of her wow, performance, I love it. just her body, just popping and shaking and flailing yes. and basically screaming as if her skin wanted to leave her fingertips. She is like a caged lion, just constantly slamming into her, into her, her prison um, hits all the beats a la like another like Las Vegas parables, like a casino, mm -hmm. like casino about sex or whatever. But the, her performance is so centering and important yeah. because she's so unlike every other p bit of it. Like, yes, she's like the violence and yes, she's like the grunginess, but she does bring like to Brett's point, um, an artistry to the chaos. Uh, her gesticulations, though um, erratic, pain-filled, scary, bizarre, um, they are uh, polished and technical. And I think that Berkeley really brings that to her performance. And Brett's it, is 100% right. I'm going to tell you, you take, a scene, take a scene, not one of the dance scenes. Take one of the non-dance yep. scenes from this movie. Put it on mute. Put some Prokofiev behind it. See what happens. I guarantee <laughs> you're watching a fucking ballet. You're watching it Elizabeth is, Berkeley. Is, um, as the prima donna in in her own ballet. But you bring up a great point, which is that her exaggerated performance also serves a very important plot function, which is that Elizabeth Berkeley is the person that we're following, and we are going to follow her through every level of the Las Vegas hierarchy, from the very bottom, almost to the top, back down, and then to the very, very top, right? Yep. And in order uh, to accomplish that, she needs to be unique. She needs to be a unique character in the Las Vegas landscape, which is very hard because it is a landscape full of strivers, full of wannabes, full of actual talents, exactly. full of ignored talents, exactly. full of con men, full of abusers, right? And so in that world, they need to her, her to have a, have a unique magnetism so that people are drawn to her uh, sometimes not even knowing knowing why. And this, her, I've never seen a character that reacts to other characters like this character. She has two modes of reacting to other characters. Uh, like we saw, and we saw both of them on display there. She either reacts to characters with incredible, uh, like 
skepticism of their intentions mixed with uh, mixed with a, a physical violence, right? Like, like literally, there's so many people in this movie that she just like spits in their face or says "fuck you" to. There's just as many people that she, you know, uh, or not just as many people, but then you know, the, the true friends, she's just as quick to kind of fall into their arms and like have an intimate moment with them, like we saw there. Um, Oh, yeah. And so those two forms of reacting, but particularly the antagonism, being not being afraid to say fuck you to power, to spitting in the face of power, um, uh, to to responding to creepy advances with with just a physical fucking vicious fucking kickback. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that gives her a magnetism that makes everybody in town go like, who is that? And in many ways, who is that? Like, I want to know that person. Like who's that person think she is? I want to destroy her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to exploit her. I want to, mm-hmm. but it gives her a magnetism that basically plugs her into the outlet of Las Vegas and makes the whole movie possible. So God bless this performance. Justice for Elizabeth Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Uh, fuck the critics. Fuck her fucking agents uh, who, no, who dropped perf- her of this movie. Performance is genius. Cowards. Oh, and, and Verhoeven thought of all the great. Yeah, directors and actors work together. It's Elizabeth Berkeley's performance, and she murders. Yeah, yeah. Keep talking to me about Scorsese and De Niro. Blah blah blah. I want to hear more about Verhoeven. Verhoeven. Verhoeven and Berkeley should have been a four or five film uh, collaboration. I don't know what you cooked up next, but just on one last point on Berkeley. um, Yes, in her anger and yes, in her joy, but also just to note also in her sexuality where she is like divorced from the expectation, which elevates her. So there's a couple moments in the film, chiefly when she gives Kyle MacLachlan a lap dance at the cheetah that Gina Gershon watches. And additionally, at the end when she has not sex, but like random, wild, wet, humping sex. Let's go to that. That's that's an hour 24. Uh, We've got to watch. You have to tell me. Watch the scene and tell me what you think is happening. Okay, great. Um, And then I'll... An hour 24. So can I speak on what we're about to see really quick? Please. Her... So in this scene and in the lap dance scene, she's supposed to be turning her male partner or male client on, um, which she does. But I think it's because it's so alternative to your expect sexual expectations of a sultry sort of dance or sexual encounter. This wild, violent, hilarious, flailing is so unique and specific yeah. Yeah. that even somebody as m- in the mire as Kyle MacLachlan's producer character who bangs a lot of beautiful showgirls, blah, 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 he's completely and totally enraptured by how bizarre and chaotic yes. and unique this woman it's is. It's dance. It, it is, is sex amazing. as dance it or dance as sex, however you want yes. to see it. But it is – it has the – that that exaggerated expressionistic power of yeah. of dance where it is not the thing itself it is it is it is an artistic like a translation of the thing where yeah. it is not an intimate it, it is pure performance it is and it is a performance that centers the performer mm-hmm. um and it's about power and it's about um it's about it's about a kind of individual sexuality not a shared sexuality yeah. and it has that beautiful alienated, divorced from reality quality where you can really be the uh, viewer. Yes. And in, in like almost like you're floating above your own sexuality and sort of just you're divorced from it, looking down at like the 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 pieces and parcels of erotic uh, and sexuality. But I, as you watch this scene on Plus, $5 a month, who cares? Um, so that it's, 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 so you, you get the money. double thread videos, you get so all the black men can't jump without the ads, podcast without the oh ads, JBU without the come ads. Come on, come on. Um, 
but it's so divorced from. I try to get turned on by this insanely interesting, I, funny scene. I so, would say not yet turned on, but I, I, I would push back slightly against your. your I, I think this movie and her performance is is reclaiming a new sexuality from the ashes of of the previous you know century of american sexuality mm. of a previous like i think there is there is a kind of phoenix rising from the ashes here of a new form of of particularly female sexuality um that is because this movie um, there is so much male gaze in this movie, but the ultimate, but you don't see the movie through the male gaze. The male right. gaze is all like just little, it's these little the people gaze. in yeah. the movie, <laughs> yeah, right? Right, right? But you ultimately don't see the movie through the male gaze no. because the way it's shot is is centering a sort of powerful dynamic female sexuality yeah. so much that like all Kyle McLaughlin can do in the, in the lap dance scene and the sex scene all he can fucking do is fucking come. That's all he can do. Yeah. Whereas she is putting on goddamn yeah. Goddamn fucking rites of spring on his ass. It, it's, it's ritualistic. It's Dionysic yes. dancing. It's, yeah. it's 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 from you know. It's not yeah. um. It's not lap dance dancing. It's not strip club dancing. It's not even. It's not ballet dancing. It is pure. Like it, it is Dionysus yes, himself. It is, it is a feminine it sexuality is, yes. d- d- that is that is designed to terrify men yes, because yes. of how superior it is to their sexuality. I love and it. how sort of next level it is. So God bless. It's let's a great watch. scene. Let's watch. And see, in this moon, in this moment, he thinks he has the edge. They're in his big house. I liked your eyes. His money is on display. He drove her home in his Porsche. She's got a white piano that he's never opened before. <laughs> with pictures on top of him with like Nikki Six or whoever. She walks out to his pool, which oh god bless, neon palm trees lining the pool. She undresses. So right now he's thinking, the... all right, this is going to be sexy and normal. Right. Wrong. Wrong. He's like, this is my, I'm, I'm going to know what's going to happen here. Right. Yeah. I'm going to get a nice old jacuzzi. This has happened. He's thinking this has happened to me before. Right. This has not happened. To this has not happened to you before, buddy. He has this. What if I was the like? He has this really this beautiful uh, dolphin accent on his pool. It's very cool and stylish. <laughs> McLaughlin, full bare ass, comes out, stepping down. Could have used McLaughlin cock in this movie, but you know, no points against. What a '90s cast: Kyle McLaughlin, Gina Gershon, Elizabeth Berkley. Should have had a bigger yeah, Gershon's career. a star. Gershon's amazing. Gershon's a full star. McLaughlin. All right, so some very some right for the very nipple bite sort of that my wife goes ouch, and I was like, yeah, I wouldn't. Nobody wants that. Um, he's just so used to the power, but she, she's about here to turn the tables right here. We here. Stop. She goes under the water, just to turn the tables a little bit. He's like, "Where'd she go? What's Where's happening? She, wait, wait, wait. Where'd she go? 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 I thought I was gonna get a big old. <laughs> no, the scene is beautifully shot, by the way, because it's yes. Beerhoven and it's it's, yes. uh, it's gorgeous. Now, look, look, there's like a horror. I find that there's yes. like I know you had that Cronenberg. Uh, comparison earlier and I think it's because they they use a lot of beautiful horror inspired um, techniques yes, and that's shots it. That's it. and I feel like this scene is is he's you know he knows his horror yes uh, there's something terrifying about this scene now she mounts him she's fully in control and now she is about to put McLaughlin in a fucking blender sex in a pool I don't know but that's just that's just a little editorializing. Right, here, here goes good acting. Here go. All right, some sort of insane gyration that can't possibly feel good. 
at all to either well, not party. For the, not for the male. This is a very uh, yeah, fe- yeah, female-centric I, I suppose so. formula. It, now it's getting just... Now it's just like the, the waves are scratching up. It's just... This is so... This is, oh, <laughs> now, now she throws now. her fucking shoulders back. Oh, my god. She's gosh. like fucking having a stroke. Just good acting. Funny as shit. Interesting as hell. What the fuck is she doing? I love it. He is McLaughlin he, is like, shocked. He's like scared. He's shocked and scared. Is she scared. dying? Am I coming? I think he just faked an orgasm there just out of fear. <laughs> and then a soft little kiss on the lips. This movie this movie is She said, so "I hope good. you liked your front row seat, buddy." I can't imagine watching this movie and then leaving and going, "That was the worst movie I've ever seen." Nobody what watched is it. Nobody, bad about this no, movie. I don't think anybody saw it. It's I don't not, think anybody really bad. saw it. It doesn't no. like move slowly. No, it moves quickly. No, and every scene is really beautiful. And we'll talk about the red shoes and the absolutely stunning twelve-minute-long, eleven-minute-long dance sequence. Like the power and the um, colors and the and the. You know, when all the shots of Goddess, the review that Gina Gershon stars in that yes. uh, Nomi eventually gets in, yep. you know, that has the grandeur. Let's go to 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Red That's, shoes yeah, level minutes. shit. Like, and it was shot that way and it was so just like amazing. The Vegas shows are fantastic it's in this so movie. so cool. The way they, yeah, the Vegas shows are incredible. Just full fucking five star productions. I love pyrotechnics yeah. and this 90s aesthetic, but it's also like. I don't know. I, I I found it surprisingly enduring as an aesthetic. I re, I really I was I, like, if I walked into the yes. show today, uh, yes, I'd be like, how much did I pay for this? Yeah. Not it wasn't enough because yeah. this is this is this is this is better than anything. Yeah. This no, is better than no, anything. It's so cool. I would love to see this show in real life. It's like, you know, I, one of the characters, her friend, whose name I forget, she makes like a friend who's like a, a dancer and a choreographer. Yeah. Um, he says, you know, that the goddess show is dishonest because at least when you go to the cheetah, you know, they're paying for tits and ass and you give them tits and ass. But at goddess, they go for tits and ass, but they pretend they're going for something else. To which I'd say, like, I also would totally enjoy paying for tits and ass and pretending it's something else because this show looks fucking amazing. It's just incredible. They got like fireworks, yes. motorcycles jumping over stuff, p- the most insane costumes, um, and the, the movements are incredible. Are we about to watch them right yeah, now? Yeah, and they're doing a little like, uh, you know, uh, like the Copacabana shot in Goodfellas where we come in through the back door and then we're going to wind our way up to stage level. Oh, um, gorgeous so, um, uh, shot. So let's check this out. This is the first time that um, that Nomi and the audience lays eyes on one of these 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 Vegas reviews, which she's ultimately going to aspire to hey, starring in. Who wants to see her snatch anyway? I certainly wouldn't. Oh, we know that, babe. Oh, Nomi, come on. So Nomi's still new in town, backstage for the first time, peeking into the big dressing, into Gina Gershon's dressing room. This is great. What were people... I don't know idea. And we'll get to, this is a movie about putting on a show, which you know I love. Absolutely, absolutely. So much to say about theater, coming up with red shoes. But man, this is a great behind-the-scenes theater movie. It's so exciting. It really communicates the thrill of the 200 people working on a show together. Here she comes out into the stage. <laughs> oh, oh I, my I would, God. I would pay $160 There's to see this volcano show. volcano on stage $160 a ticket. Gold, like gold sequin, Insane. gold lame uh, outfits. Everybody is going I mean, wild. I mean, this is decadent. This is entertainment, baby. This is entertainment. Something blows up. A rock blows up. And There's a narrative. I mean, this is no, it's insane. Gina Gershon comes out, just absolute statuesque beauty. 
And she's she's uh, half naked and then inspires everyone else to get half naked. Absolutely gorgeous color palette in the movie. There's Amazing a goddamn narrative shots, to it. It's incredible like myth. Light, incredibly well lit. And this is just one scene. Later on in the movie, yeah. they, there's like other parts of this play that are so funny. I would love to have one of the tables in the circle or, that they're dancing around. They eventually the people inside the circle. When it became a cult classic, they did a uh, Showgirls musical. Oh, they did, which is fine. They should have just done Goddess in its entirety. They should have done Goddess in its entirety on Broadway. Do it now. I think there is one show still like this in Vegas that's been running for like thirty years. That we're gonna go to with this the is fans. So good. This is the yeah. This play. If I was in the audience right now, yeah, I'd be like, thank fucking god. And you have a classic, like, sort of Busby Berkeley scenario where Elizabeth Berkeley's in the audience and she's watching and she's kind of mimicking the moves. Uh, I have to say, that's where I want to be. Man. All right, we can stop there. Wow. Amazing clip. Amazing film. So, and also great, uh, great script. A couple lines of dialogue that stood out to me. Um, I think uh, he bailed me out of jail. Why? I kicked him in the nuts. Okay. How'd you find your man? I chipped my tooth on a quaalude. He was my dentist. It's a funny movie. Must be weird not having anyone come on you. That's the best part of the movie. <laughs> that is lines. just a put, put, to put a pin in it. Her abusive boss from the Cheetah comes to visit her at Goddess, and as he's walking away slowly, he turns back and says one more thing. And that wistfully, thing is, wistfully, wist, very wistfully, so funnily, next to Lin Tucci, he goes, "Yeah, what did you say, Brett? It's so weird. It must be so must weird. Must be weird when, not when, having. Yeah, any, I, any I, guys had the, come I had the wrongs. Must be weird when you know. Must be weird when guys aren't coming on you. Must be weird not having anyone come on Wistfully you because strange. she was doing yes. uh, like she was in his like trashy strip joint, and now she's in a, a Vegas review. Uh, that was the great Robert Davi. Robert Davi, yeah, um, murders it, and the great Lin Tucci. Shout Lin out, Tucci. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Lin Tucci kills in the movie. I oh, wish that she, you know absolutely not, kills. They don't do that anymore. Where like there's interstitials at the strip clubs. Like that's so funny. Yes, you know, like back in the Vegas and Reno. Like if you watch like what's that Altman movie with where they go to their their California California, California split California split like yeah. they have you know, I miss like um the, there's the, comedy there's like comedy, the comedy bits. bits yes the it was inter- a variety the show interstitials the, yeah. the, the the music in the middle that shit's funny as hell <sighs> great movie this movie's great next this movie's great um before we stop before we go on though uh couple final notes on this movie there is near the end and this is why ultimately. I I think a Busby Berkeley movie mixed with a 60s, 70s exploitation movie is the closest I can get to sort of categorizing it. And some people really lean into it as a satire. I don't think it's a satire. Yeah. Like everybody's everybody's shit. All the guys, particularly the men who run Vegas, are complete pieces of shit. They're exploitative. Uh, they're misogynistic. Uh, at the very end, there is a brutal rape scene that then gets covered up because the guy who orchestrates the rape is Horrendous. a famous musician. Um all of the sort of shittiness and violence to me plays very much like the shittiness and violence once again to be a dead horse that you would see in the exploitation films of the 60s and 70s, the kind that Tarantino was so fascinated with, more so than the than the exploitation and violence you would see in, in a kind of social or political satire. I would go with fantastical documentary um, as my sort of little codifier, but I um, was equally as enchanted and interested and 
had much a lot of fun watching this film as you. No yeah. Doubt about Ultimately, that. Showgirls is Showgirls, baby. It's Showgirls a great movie, guys. It's really fun watch. It's also a really good movie. It's very well acted. It's very beautiful. It's very um, exciting and raw and bizarre. And uh, I loved it. <laughs> Now let's move on to another fantastic film, The Red Shoes, which came out in 1948, written and directed by the team of Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. This was their 10th collaboration together. Previously, they had done uh, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, Black Narcissus, uh, I think a couple years prior, uh, Canterbury Tale, I Know Where I'm Going. Uh, really an absolute monster duo in British cinema um, in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Um, uh, speaking of bombs, though, we, we will eventually watch this on uh, Weekend at Bergman's. But Michael Powell, the Michael Powell half of that duo, famously kind of um, flamed out in 1960 when he put out uh, Peeping Tom. Peeping ah, Tom, which is movie. a film way ahead of its time, um, was seen as as perverse and deranged yeah. at the time. A serial killer who kills um, uh, prostitutes with with the, with his tripod, the tripod of his camera. Um, uh, also stores, uh, stars um, Mo- Moira Shearer from The Red Shoes. Yeah. Uh, fantastic film, though, way ahead of its time. And and actually not way ahead of its time, like, like literally like six months ahead of its time. Because um, later that year, Hitchcock, who was influenced by Peeping Tom, makes Psycho, which was you know one of his biggest hits. Cool. Um, but for whatever reason, Peeping Tom kind of ended Michael Powell's career. We'll talk about that when we cover um, – when we cover Peeping Tom. But uh, at this point, Powell and Pressburger at the height of their powers. Uh, this movie uh, was a big hit at the time. It was a financial success at the time, actually. Um, and uh, beyond that, a huge critical success uh, then and now in 2017, uh, a poll of actors, directors, and writers for Time Out uh, ranked it the fifth, be- fifth best British film ever. The fifth best British film ever. Uh, stars Moira Shearer, uh, Moira Shearer, Anton Walbrook, uh, Marius Goring. Um, it also featured tons of uh, – Shearer herself was an established ballerina. Of course, you can see her doing a lot of her own dance in this film. Uh, they uh, employed a lot of other actual ballerinas uh, because the actual – the actual dance sequences in this movie are really un- unprecedented and unparalleled in terms of how how oh, they're awesome. incredible they are. They're yes. super cool. Um, they're still cool. The plot is based on the Hans Christian fairy tale, The Red Shoes, but only to the extent that like adaptation is based on uh, the, the Orchid Thief, yeah. right? I mean, it's, it's a it's a uh, a kind of root inspiration, and then the film builds this whole at times hallucinatory fantasy out of that out of that uh, original story. Um, and then there's the sort has of nice red parallels. shoes within the within the film, yeah. the film within the film, uh, um, or the play within the film. Um, Joe, for people who have not seen the red shoes or who need a little refresher, please summarize this movie for me. Uh, summarize the plot of this movie for me in sixty seconds, starting now. Well, a young ballerina gets the meets the director of the greatest ballet in the world, the Lermontov Ballet. And she um, gets to join the company and eventually ascend to the prima ballerina at that company. Uh, At the same time, a young composer realizes his work has been stolen by his professor, who is the director of the Lermontov's orchestra. And he goes and confronts Lermontov, who promptly gives him a job. And he ascends to be the greatest composer in the history of the ballet. 
And of course, he falls in love with the beautiful prima donna, but that does not sit well with Lermontov, the great producer of the ballet, who thinks that all a prima ballerina can do is live and die for her craft, and she'll never ascend to become the greatest dancer in the world. 10 seconds. And when he makes her choose between love or ballet, she can't decide, and she, or does the shoes, kill herself. That's the time. Perfect uh, summary of this great film. Uh, and much like uh, Showgirls comes from the the lost golden era of the spec script, uh, Red Shoes, like I said, comes from the lost golden era of Technicolor. Uh, the cinematographer of this film, Jack Cardiff, uh, was the first cinematographer to be awarded an honorary Oscar in 2000. Uh, he did The Red Shoes. He did Powell and Pressburger's other movie, Black Narcissus, and was one of the main, was really the, sort of the key figure in the era of Technicolor and in promoting Technicolor. Um, yeah. Uh, Technicolor, there's a lot of science behind it. Go look into it. But basically what it would do was to create these these beautiful, exaggerated colors. It is the color of fantasy. It is the color of of Oz, really. When when Dorothy goes into Oz is the best depiction of what Technicolor it is. Is these these exaggerated, oversaturated, beautiful, lush colors. It's like romantic paintings. Yes. It is like a painting. It's like looking at a painting. So many of, of the scenes in the red shoes look like paintings. And to the extent that the, the movie is encouraging you to watch, to sort of see a painting in a lot of these scenes. I think um, it uh, was phased out uh, not because it was not beautiful, but because it was too expensive. Uh, ultimately, cheaper ways of doing color came into play, and then suddenly yeah. all the studios said, "Sorry, we can't afford Technicolor yeah. anymore." And then we get boring color after that. Well, but then Showgirls figured it out pretty good. Oh my god, the sh- the, the neon aesthetic of Showgirls we could talk that about works. for for hours. Um, so, uh, what did you? Joe, what did you like? What did you like about the red shoes? Well, I love a movie about putting on a play. And this is a You've great, said it before, you'll say it again. He loves a, a play. Great movie. movie about putting on a play. I love when everybody sits around in their big rooms and makes decisions about production concerns. I love the money parts. I love the backstage parts. I love when they stretch. I love when they put on makeup. I love when they go out there. I love when the audience sees it. I love rehearsal. And this movie has all that stuff in spades. We get the oh. we we get the the orchestra and all the machinations and goings-ons and drama of that. We and then we understand all the drama of the ballet. It also has a ton of wonderful, like romantic hotels and travel and Paris and things you want from your mid-40s technicolor classics. You get some fancy plates, you get some big drapes that are gorgeous and stunning, big fancy desks, uh, people sitting around late at night wearing tuxedos, smoking, talking about production concerns and considerations. So all of that very romantic. It is one of the most beautiful films ever made. It really is is stunning, stunningly beautiful and not in a way in ways that are sort of challenging at times and sort of there's a there's a terror to the beauty and the beauty ultimately is what is what is what turns on the main character. I mean, the beauty sort of kills in a way because it's a beauty that requires all of you in order to, yeah. to main the beauty requires sacrifice in, yes, in order to perpetuate itself because it is beauty at such a high level you can do nothing else except fully contribute to the beauty in order to maintain it or so Lermontov claims thank you thank you very much I would like to read this movie as we, we can there is there is so much just on the surface to love about this movie I have a reading I want to propose to you yeah. of this movie that I think for me I noticed on this watching of it um I think, speaking of the red shoes, I think you could make a very interesting um, reading of this movie that is about labor. It's about means of production. Um, it is about Lermontov, the theater director, is um, 
ultimately is a kind of Steve Jobs figure, right? Jobs famously yep. said, uh, you know, which uh, I, I don't play an instrument in the orchestra. I play the orchestra, right? Lermontov, uh, he doesn't write the music. He doesn't choreograph the dances, right? He is the the impresario. He is the overseer, right? He's not even the money. He is just the the sort of one that ultimately sort of uh, controls and and pulls the strings of everything at the same time. And his big skill is to demand a hundred percent from everybody that contributes to the. Uh, production mm-hmm. and the moment that they will not give him a hundred percent, the moment that they want to have a life, they want to get married, they want to be in love, they want to have any kind of diversion outside of the project, he fires them. Right? This guy requires absolute devotion from you. There's a line at the at the end of the. Um, basically, he says like like who cares about life at the very end? Who cares about life, right? Life is nothing. Work is everything. Labor is everything. The labor that you're going to contribute to me in order to create my masterpieces, right? He demands absolute devotion from all of his laborers. Ultimately, he's the one that benefits from their labor. And the minute that they want to have anything outside of their labor, they are they are cut off. They are fired. Wow, that is 100% true. I read this film because I think the it's not like really that is true. That is how Lermontov feels and treats his uh, personnel and his company. And for some people that lifestyle works and for others it's impossible. For most it's impossible. I do think that he holds this woman to a more impossible standard because, you know, there's like 200 people that work on this ballet and the only one he seems to be torturing is this is his star so i think there has to do a little bit with like um not a little bit but you know the the gray area between like love desire art and work and sort of those that conflict what i'm trying to say is though he is rigid his rigidity doesn't go 150% firing he's not walking around firing everybody all day long um he has a dedicated troupe of traveling actors, but he only goes nuclear when his he loses the fight to the other guy for this woman's quote unquote love. This movie really does depend on the on the female sacrifice trope. Literally at the end, you know, literally, but throughout his his masterpieces always require a a female sacrifice, and specifically the whoever the prima ballerina is going to be, the previous prima ballerina. Um, was uh, um, I mean she seemed to, she seemed to sort of voluntarily leave, but there wasn't a choice for her. She wanted to get married and have a family, which means she could not be in the production because she could not it, she could not be because according um, to Lermontov, if you want to become the greatest dancer of all time or become a great dancer, you that can be your only thing in life, which yes. I like wholeheartedly disagree with as a person. But. Um, that is why he goes so nuclear with the firing. I feel like he probably doesn't hold the 200 other people on on, on, no, it on, is, on, on set to the whole standard. You're right. The, the, the prima ballerina has the highest standards uh, to the point where there can be nothing outside of dance. There can be yes. nothing outside of the ballet. And that like manipulation, that obsession, that control um, is what he gets off to. Let's look at 3950. Uh, this is when he is going to um, reveal the plot of his next – um, ballet, which is the Red Shoes, um, the title ballet, and he's talking to Craster, who is this uh, 
brilliant and and very opportunistic uh, composer who has worked his way into the position of being the main composer for Lermontov, and he also was going to fall in love with Victoria, the main dancer. Do I understand you have not been altogether very happy with us so far? Well, I... Well, what? Well, coaching an orchestra is not exactly a young composer's dream, is it? I'm afraid the job I have for you may not be exactly a young composer's dream either. All the same, I hope you do not consider it entirely unworthy of your talent. The belly of the red shoes is from a fairy tale by Hans this film is always moving in and out of sort of fantasy elements. Yeah. Always sort of borders on hallucination. I, I beg your pardon? The Belly of the Red Shoes is from a fairy tale by Hans Andersen. It is the story of a girl who is devoured by an ambition to attend a dance in a pair of red shoes. She gets the shoes, goes to the dance, and first all was well, and she's very happy. At the end of the evening, she gets tired and wants to go home. But the red shoes are not tired. In fact, the red shoes are never tired. I wish that was my explanation when you asked me for the 60 seconds. <laughs> They dance over the mountains and valleys, through fields and forests, through night and Fuck. day. He's stroking a ceramic sculpture of a perfect ballet foot. A ballet foot. Rushes by. <laughs> and when they do the ballet the feet, shoes. I just find that to be so good. Dance up. What happens in the end? Oh, and then she dies? Yes, I remember. The music was written by Philippe Bertrand. He did it for us last year. All right, we can stop there. But so Lermontov is a, is obsessed with the red shoes of this this engine, this unstoppable engine of creation that ultimately kills mm -hmm. uh, the wearer of the shoes mm -hmm. because they cannot, no human can sustain that level of constant creative output without anything else, without any respite from it, without anything else going on in their life. Um, but to him, this is the ideal, is that human life is is sacrificial. Human life uh, is, 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 you can justifiably sacrifice human life in the name of art in order to get the the product that you want. And that's what happens in this movie to uh, Victoria, to the main dancer. Yeah. Now, I just disagree with that, although I find it rather romantic notion, like, you know, the whole entire, you know, you got to suffer for your art, you got to tooth and claw and fight and scream and kick and make it as painful as humanly possible and then you can get good art is totally completely absurd in this film Lermontov when he's pitching it though he's such like a beautiful seductress he's such like a wonderful wordsmith and such like a romantic figure and who has some gravity and some chutzpah and some sexiness and some allure and mysteriousness, a true Mephistopheles himself. Um, I am almost convinced when he starts sort of pitching me on the tenets of the art because, you know, that's all the shit they show you back at art school and they make you all suffer for your art and it's all bunkum so they can control you and stuff. But it is fun to hear him spew it because he spews it so good. I've, he's so enchanting and scary. And uh, I really love his performance. And I think that he has that sort of, you know, Moby Dick-esque like passion for it. He really like sells that you really need to die for your art. Um, 
you know, and uh, I got chills I at the it. end when he says, basically, he says, you know, life is meaning. He's like, what is life? Life is meaningless. Like yeah. art is everything. He, I got he, chills. He kind of, he, he, no, he has Mamba mentality, you know, and it's easy <laughs> to get, it's easy to get fucking w- swept up into that. I'll tell you as a person who works in the arts that that is bunkum. Do not listen to these snake oil salesmen. Don't listen to but, it, but it is But seductive. if you want to watch a it's movie a about fantasy. it and just kind of like sit there and go, ooh, la la, because that's what the movies are for. You can feel all the things you're not allowed to feel in real life or supposed to feel or, or you know, you can't because you're at work or whatever, but you can go home and feel it at the movies i love being seduced by this train of thought it's so uh enticing and romantic and uh masculine in a bad way and in a good way it's a very like scary notion (laughs) i I do love it (laughs) no it is it is a it is a fun like fantasy to kind of flirt with of like what if i just devoted everything to the work notes from the underground you just end up down there just fucking you know spinning around like numi but that's that's to go back to my reading why i'm saying i i i I have this sort of had this sort of socialist reading of it this time because Lermontov ultimately is not putting in that level of he 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 does have a singularity. We don't he doesn't have much of a life that we know None. of. But did you notice on opening night? Okay. Everybody's stressed out. Everybody's going over their lines, their positions. Who's cool as a fucking cucumber? Lermontov. That's his job. He's back to base. But this is my point. Is he I, demands. I, defend I know. He no, no. demands. It's like he demands like your blood on the gears of the machine to keep yeah. the machine going to yeah. produce the final product that he needs it to produce. Your labor, though, is ultimately not. Your labor not only is not going to get rewarded, it's going to kill you, right? You're yeah. going to kill yourself in service of Lermontov's vision of production, of the production, right? Sure. This scene that I was talking about, let's let's go see it. Uh, is a uh, start around like two oh one thirty. At this point, Victoria has effectively chosen. She's chosen love over art, yep. right? She's living with the composer Craster. They've made a life together. Uh, now. Very, very important to point out here that Craster is still pursuing his art. He has an opera at the Covent Garden. So this is very much about a woman having a woman. to make a choice. Yes, between uh, life and art. Craster can get married and still work. Yeah, we're not talking about Craster. Craster, no. Craster stinks too. No, this is um, – b- so, but this is the point where uh, Lermontov is going to uh, try to seduce Victoria back into dance, back into work. Let's watch this. The dance, I mean. I haven't danced very much, you know. Oh, I know, I know. I know every time you have danced. But you never stopped working. No. And you never stopped going to class. Never. And why isn't he with you? His opera's been accepted at Covent Garden. It's in rehearsal now. Would he give it up if you ask him? I don't know. You do know. I wouldn't ask. And why is he asking you? Does he know what he's asking? He's so good. Uh, he's so good. I'm like, fuck your life and devote it to ballet. Now. We are preparing a new ballet. He's so seductive. We've been working at it for weeks. The costumes and the decor are the most beautiful things Rotov has ever done. Grisha's full of enthusiasm. And you know what that means. You know what? Nobody else has ever danced the red shoes since you left. Nobody else ever shall. Put on the red shoes, Vicky. Yes. Put them on. And dance for us again. See, but it's only romantic because it's ballet. You can stop there. That, I, that line wasn't in there, but I'll find it later. Um, the 
it's only romantic because it's the red shoes, it's ballet, it's art. But this is this is this is the conversation that you know Steve Jobs has with his production team, you know his engineering team before he's going to ask them to sacrifice their lives and their families for a year to work on a fucking iPod Nano, right? He the work is more important than your life. The work is more important, and that's the fucking engineers. Let's not even talk about the fucking sweatshops that actually make the fucking iPod Nanos, right? This is. This is the this is the 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 seduction Wait, of this is the seduction of of exploitation that that fuels every fucking machine that turns all over the world, right? Fine. That your life doesn't matter. What matters is the art, is the work, is the product. And here's the thing, here's the thing. We don't get art. Let's go, let's we don't get let's see what we actually get. Because what we get is magnificent. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. I'm not saying that No, this look, isn't about iPod nanos I'm or not, labor. this is about real artists working together. I've 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 I have a now you've gone too far for me, friend. Thirty nine fifty. Thirty nine fifty watch we'll watch your scene, but you've gone you've gone you've stepped over the line, friend. Because now now I just disagree. And now you're gonna make me defend Lermontov. But I but I do have a point to make. I'm excited for the scene. I wanna I wanna see your evidence here and I, I think I'm gonna provide slight pushback. We're now watching the actual red sho- red shoes ballet, which is one of the which Brett compared to an iPod Nano. Stunning sequences. Yeah, uh, is nothing like history. an iPod Nano. My this point is, is that Lermontov can't do this. Lermontov needs someone Brett, else to Brett, do this. Brett, you're literally a producer. What the fuck are you talking about? It takes a team I'm of talent, baby. Am I on the mic? Am I not on the mic? Talent. You're, okay, but you're also a producer. You own the company. What the fuck are you talking about? She's great. This dancing's so great. Incredible. She's so good. And look at her. What I love about this scene is that he's not just filming a beautiful ballet. He's making it as cinematic as possible. Usually when theater is depicted on the screen, it's often not good. Here, this is the most... He's using film to show the beauty of the ballet to communicate it to you as if you were in the audience which is an impossibility that's what I love about this movie and what I love about this scene in particular you can never feel the magic of being in the same room as these performances these great operas these great plays and musicals unless you're sitting in the theater if you watch it on the screen you're going to lose everything in translation but this film uses cinema itself to communicate to you that of the evocation the feeling of being in the room with the film and that is why this is so gosh darn brilliant yeah i would agree with that this this movie makes the argument that cinema is on par with the great sort of legacy art forms of europe with on par with ballet with classical music um and because i think joe i agree with what you said i think why it is such an effective presentation of a performance of a live performance is that it it turns it into cinematic fantasy yeah so that um it's not bound even by the stage. He doesn't so worry about the, like, yes. wait, this is this can't possibly happen. Right, like, who can't, no, no, it's not no, about no. The stage it's, it's becomes the, yeah. endless. It becomes unbounded. It becomes it, things happen that wouldn't possibly happen in real life because it is it is showing you that that cinema is capable of of giving you what ballet aspires to, giving you the visions that that ballet and dance and classical music and opera aspire to. That cinema can do that. It is not yeah. bounded by the things that, that live theater is bounded by. It can be the fulfillment of their visions and the fulfillment of their fantasies. This sequence is remarkable. It's on par with um, the only other thing I could think of was the uh, an American in Paris, the big the big yeah. show stopping scene in American in Paris that has this same level that Which must I'm have sure been inspired this by this. Of course. Absolutely, the, the, that same level of like fantasy of dance as fantasy. I feel like many like movies that incorporated dance or musical numbers in the late '40s and '50s. Taking a big fat 
playbook or big fat idea out of this movie. Absolutely. And just doing these beautiful, grandiose 10 minute, don't worry about it, sort of outside of the narrative sequences and just enjoying uh, film and the fantastic things that you can accomplish with the medium. Absolutely. Because I think the previous generation, the the Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, even Busby, Busby Berkeley are more kind of, they, they dance within the confines of the world. Um, even like in Busby Berkeley's sure. big sort of, you know, brilliant sequences with the camera going around in circles around, it's still confined by the world. Whereas the Red Shoes introduced the idea that it, it, to be in the spirit of dance and the spirit of ballet, we should use every cinematic tool at our disposable to, as I've said, turn this into fantasy, turn this into what the stage production is aspiring to do. We can sort of complete the circle in a way. We can bring it to the level that it, that it wants to be, that it's, that it's aiming at. Um, you keep saying aiming and aspiring. Great musicals and great ballets and great works of opera and theater accomplish the heights of the best films. But are, phys- but are physically bound by the con- – and of course you can do a lot of sort of stage magic. But are physically – you can't in, – in, in, the the in the Red Shoes, we see her yeah, fall yeah, yeah. through – We see her fall from the sky through right. – le- levels of, of you know yeah, that's fine. but th- what, what i'm saying is yes. being in the room and watching a body do these things yes perfectly is uh, as enrapturous as watching a film have cool tricks with lights and color and people jumping no of course this, I, is, I, this isn't about agree. this isn't about c- cinema no, I, um I, uh surpassing those mediums it's about cinema uh demanding to be placed yeah. alongside those mediums because of the unique uh, advantages that can, it can, yeah. 100%. And so that's what I think Powell and Pressburg are doing is saying like cinema deserves a place. And, and, and to say that now is just sort of obvious, but in 1948, I don't know, but to say, <laughs> but in 1948, at least there was still, I'm yeah. sure this to speak about our, the theme of this podcast, this high, low distinction of uh, movies are for fun and for diversion and classical music and opera and ballet are for high minded well, people. I think what you're not, I think the one thing that I don't, love about your um and, I, and reading way, and people 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 probably interpret that as violence and that me and you hate each other because i have a slight disagreement about our readings of these films but my the difference here is that um victoria in the red shoes and numi in showgirls are great artists yes that like they're like is there exploitation in the film like obviously there's exploitation in showgirls and uh of course i mean victoria is so goes is so manipulated that she throws herself off a freaking uh building and in, into, yes. into a train That's why she have to die for being a great artist was lermontov's just going to go on to the next production he literally stages the red shoes as she's lying on dead on a railroad track yeah. Yeah. he stages the production without her yeah it's kind of stunning but also perverse yeah. they do the red shoes she is dead on a mm-hmm. monte carlo railroad tracks mm-hmm. they do the red shoes without her everybody just acts as though she's there yeah. that to me is the ultimate that to me is i i don't think it was intended this way but i think i have a right to read that you have a right to read sat- whatever the fuck I, have, you want. I think i have a right to read that satirically as the ultimate that's where exploitation of labor ends is is that literally the yeah, show goes it's, on yeah, it's a little the show goes on the, with the death sure. of the laborer the yeah, laborer dies the person that uh, the, the labor is what creates the thing Lermontov thinks he creates the thing the labor is what creates the thing in Jean Delman yes. she murders not because she was tortured like I thought but in fact because she was having an orgasm like you thought so what I posit to you in the yes, red please, shoes please, 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 please. not what you thought what Chantal Ackerman said you, I don't know who Lord knows what you thought but in the red shoes, I'm just kidding. I, in the in the red Make your sh- point, <laughs> in the red shoes, 
uh, perhaps the labor is manipulated, you know, very, you know, a little ham fisted in my, in my account, my, my, what I would say to you, if I was being honest and this is what this podcast is all about. And in fact, maybe more that it's she is actually tortured okay. because she's an artist between actually her art and her love and the choice to her as an artist is singular, is, is her choice. And she cannot make that choice because it is too painful because she is a legitimately an artist. Now, is Lermontov some sort of saint? No, he's the devil on her fucking shoulder. Thank you. But I want to give her a little bit of autonomy here by suggesting that she, the artist herself, would put herself through this. So I guess what I'm just saying is, yeah, labor, yeah. That's was that wouldn't that's not my that's not, it sounds like I'm shitting on you. I just that's not my favorite reading. I think and I love a good reading about capitalism and all that stuff and all that. Well, jazz. I, I have all the I just, normal readings I, I of the red that. shoes. I'm just that's just oh something that's God. just an, an additional thing that came to mind this time. Oh my around. God. All right. Which so one of these movies? Which one's better though? Like I love all that, but like which one's we gotta better, watch though? one last red shoes scene okay. before we decide. Yeah. This is uh Craster and um, Victoria on a balcony in Monte Carlo at night, and this is the balcony that she then jumps off of later in the in the film. A nice little poetic touch here in the red shoes. The balcony where they initially uh, spark their romance is the one that she jumps to her death from. Why aren't you in bed? And it's so oh, obviously a painted backdrop. I love where the I film says you. this is art, this is a movie, this is cinema. Why aren't you in bed? Step inside the fantasy of this world, is what the movie asks you to do. That ain't the ocean, that's a painting, and we all know it, and we love it. Oh, I love that. I wish I did that more often these days. Not CGI, they just like painted the backdrop. Beautiful technical. That would be so cool. Blue, purplish light. Is that my ballet, too? Yes, I suppose it is. And then here comes the train by, and they're going to get a... Puff of smoke that lifts into the frame. I love that. Little do we know, foreshadowing her death. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't think that when I first saw the scene. I all I thought was, oh, it's so cool. Oh, it's old beautiful movies now. Are beautiful. beautiful now, but the be- beauty is what kills you in the red shoes because it takes all of you to maintain it. It takes so much of you to maintain it. Good luck. Good luck. Uh, the lover's handshake. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stop there. Sexy. All right, Joe, you've got to go. We've got to make a decision I'm sorry, here. Folks, I'm really we got to make sorry. a decision here. What? Um, which one's better? Which film is better? Which film did you like more? That's our criteria. We each in our head kind of determine our own understanding of that. But at the end, you have to be honest. You have to be honest. Showgirls or The Red Shoes. Again, I think because of the potential for a split jury here, let's uh, write our answers okay, into our that. phones. And um, any any quick any quick words? I, I appreciate uh, you respecting that I got to run, but I do want to hear like your you know TLDR here. You know, where am I at right now? Showgirls, there is a a urge to rescue the movie, to rescue the movie, uh, and it has, I think, at this point, been rescued, but to continue to rescue it. Um, because the rescue has gone in stages, you know, cult classic. I don't think it's that into so actual sort of critical, yeah. you know, favorite. So you're saying we have this like impulse to be like, no, it's good. Trust me. Yes. Like, yeah. Okay, right. Sure. Whereas the red shoes, everyone it's like, knows. Yeah, of course it's fucking right. Good. Right. 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 I, I so there's that. that at play. But I don't know. I mean, can that be part of the criteria? 
or does that interfere with our the honest reading of the movie? Which, which movie did you like better? Which so one did it, you like yeah, more? Yeah. As, as we've said many times, which one do you like? Think about here about this words though. Which do you like better? Which did you like more? Which movie is better? Which did you like more? God, when you so were just hard, watching them, when you sat down yeah. to watch these two films, which one did you like more? And okay, so let me give you my little TLDR here, please. What does that stand for? I don't know, but it's at the bottom of the Reddit. It like summarizes it really right, quick good, in two good, sentences. Good, 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 I don't, good, I don't good, remember. Good, good, good. Oh, too long didn't read. Great. All right. Go my ahead. little too long didn't read is Red Shoes isn't just any old movie and is just should be dismissed out of hand. It is um, beautiful, brilliant, creative, and ballsy. That 12 minute sequence of the Red Shoes is truly fantastic. The performances from both um, Lermontov and Victoria, or Veronica, excuse me, or whatever, Victoria, yep, Victoria. Um, are, are excellent. And I found it well paced, engaging, and um, really lush and rich and really brought me into that world. And I found the ending as, as, as signaled as it is in my brain now, obviously, like, and then yeah. the red shoes will kill you. And yeah. I was like, okay, yeah. And then when she killed herself, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. No. <laughs> so it was really shocking. It's a scary so, film. It's yeah. a film within a film. It's great. It has some of the most inventive, brilliant cinematic yeah. sequences in history. But uh, another yes. scary film that is really insightful, insanely sharp, and um, just biting. And the reason it's ripening with fine wine is because it was so prophetic about the downfall of American sexuality. And the birth and of a new kind of sexuality. And I, I love that and I hear you and we'll talk more about it later. I don't know if I quite agree. Um, but regardless, I found Showgirls to uh, be an excellent film that was uh, hardcore, told more truths than a lot of films do and was prophetic and was fun and incredibly well acted and beautifully shot as well. So it's a very difficult decision between these two films in, in, in my head. But I'm excited to see what you pick. I can't. This one, is, this week is hitting me more than any other week. I can't. More than Jean and Die Hard? More than that. I can't believe particularly the fact that we're not going to be able to watch one of these movies ever again. It's really hitting but me. But you made an amazing point last week about how that can't be your thing. Rewatchability, according no, to I you, know. is not I a know. factor. This movie, You said to me, and I'll say it back to you, why remember, why did you say this? You said, it's not about you can watch a movie again. It's about which movie is better, which film did you like more? So to ask which film of these is better, and that's why you picked Jean instead of Die Hard, because you're like, I love Die Hard. I would watch it again tomorrow. I literally typed you one. You gave me a whole fucking one, thing about it. You're, you're redoing it? I typed one movie. I erased it, typed All the right. other movie, and now I'm going back and typing the other movie. All right, folks. Here it is. Ready? One, three, two, two, two three. three. Oh, it's a split it's a jury. jury. Split jury. It's a split jury. It's a split jury. I picked the red shoes. Joe picked Showgirls. Oh my I had, god! I had red shoes. I went to Showgirls, and then I went back to red shoes. Literally, I'm not gonna lie. Based on everything you were saying to me, I was living in the moment. I was reacting. I was being honest. Yeah, I believe you. And my final, the final criteria: which did you like more? Which did you think was the better yeah. movie? I think Red Shoes is the better movie. You think Showgirls is the better movie. I think I both do, are I equally do. valid. I, I think both are equally valid. I think it's a better movie. And it's also a movie that I liked more. I think it's a better movie that I liked more. And I thought the Red Shoes was amazing. All right. Well, now it is up to you, listeners, yeah. uh, to choose which movie you think was better. Uh, the Red Shoes or Showgirls. <laughs> you follow us at Weekend Bergman on Twitter and yes, Instagram. Please. But the poll will be on Twitter. So go to uh, at Weekend Bergman, find our poll, 
vote. Please vote. Vote with honesty. Vote with absolute honesty. Do not lie because no, we are the stop. ones. Much like much like in the red shoes, we are the ones. We are we are going to be the ones who who suffer who suffer the consequences. So please and check out these movies. These are two honest. good ones. This Watch isn't two bad both. ones. These two are two great movies. Great, two everybody great movies. would benefit from watching both of these movies. They're False. excellent. Atwig and Birdman. Vote in the poll. We will reveal the findings of the poll next week. Which one goes in the trash can and which one goes in the cannon? Yeah. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. Love you guys. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.